Glad you're with us. 24 days Americans held hostage behind enemy lines. Now they're being told they can't leave the airport by the Taliban. Is anybody surprised? Uh, we're going to get a full updated report. Sarah Carter, investigative reporter at the bottom of the hour, at the top of the next hour. Now, remember, we've had these exchanges with Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky and the great, the ever loved Dr. Anthony Fauci. Um, and a lot of it had to do with what you, we didn't know that much about. It's called gain of function research at the Wuhan virology lab. And it turns out now newly released documents shed a whole new light and it proves that Rand Paul told the truth and that Dr. Anthony Fauci lied. And these documents detail the U.S. funding of research on several type of coronaviruses at this Wuhan Institute of Virology lab in China. The Intercept obtained more than 900 pages of documents detailing the work of the EcoHealth Alliance. That's the U.S.-based health organization that used your federal dollars, your federal tax dollars, to fund bat coronavirus research at the Chinese laboratory. And it includes two previously unpublished grant proposals that were funded by the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, as well as project updates on EcoHealth Alliance's research, which had been scrutinized amid the interest of the origins of this pandemic. Um, this is exactly what Rand Paul said. Now, when we got Dr. Fauci's emails, January 31st, 2020, he was told that it was likely manipulated coronavirus COVID-19 in a lab. One of the genomes looked like it had been manipulated by humans. Then the flurry of emails with Fauci and others about whether any U.S. of our dollars were used to fund this research at the virology lab. Turns out there was good reason for Fauci to be in a panic because these were panicked emails. Then there's this exchange with Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky and Dr. Fauci, you may recall. Dr. Fauci, knowing that it is a crime to lie to Congress, do you wish to retract your statement of May 11th where you claimed that the NIH never funded gain-of-function research in Wuhan? Senator Paul, I have never lied before the Congress, and I do not retract that statement. This paper that you are referring to was judged by qualified staff up and down the chain as not being gain of function. Dr. Richard uh, Ebright, a, a molecular biologist at Rutgers, reviewed the documents and determined the research described uh, fits the definition of gain of function research. Quote, the documents make it clear that assertions by the NIH director, Francis Collins, and its director, Anthony Fauci, that the NIH did not support gain of fun function research or potential pandemic pathogen enhancement uh, at this virology lab are untruthful. Well, Senator, welcome back. Uh, you are right again, and he lied. Now what happens? Well, we know for sure, with absolute certainty, that the NIH, Dr. Fauci, did fund the Wuhan lab and continues to fund it. The new, the newly released documents from Intercept show that there's another grant that goes 2020 to 2025. So the money continues to flow to Wuhan. I forced a vote about a month ago in the Senate and we actually won unanimously no longer to fund the Wuhan Institute, no longer to fund this research in China. Yet it hasn't been signed by the president. It hasn't been signed by it hasn't been passed by the House yet. We do know that Dr. Fauci lied about the funding. He continues to say there wasn't gain of function. The reason he'll continue to his grave to lie about this is once it's acknowledged that this was very risky research and that he was funding it, then guess what? Then if it came out of the lab, 
some moral responsibility, if not legal responsibility, attaches to Dr. Fauci and the NIH for funding this. He's been asking recent times, does he still support funding research in China? And he says yes. But for that alone, he should be fired. He should be out of government because he's recommending that we collaborate with the Chinese communists and that we collaborate with this lab that at least a significant majority of scientists now agree the virus may well have come from the lab. Well, I think the vast majority of Americans believe that now, too, and I think it's pretty obvious. So the great Dr. Fauci, the emails now now puts a little clarity, gives us clarity as it relates to those emails that were going back and forth in, in a frenzied tone about, well, did, did, did any of our money go to this? Because they knew damn well what was happening with this. The idea that we're still other, funding this lab is insanity to me, Senator. The other question is, is he denies it's gain of function. Someone should ask him the next question. Why is it not gain of function? They took a virus, the SARS virus, which was a coronavirus from 2004 that had a 15% mortality. Then they linked it up with new genes from new coronaviruses they found in the bat caves down in southern China. And when they linked them together, they infected humanized cells. So what they found is that they could make the SARS virus, which was deadly but not very transmissible, into a deadly and transmissible disease. They ginned up a deadly virus to make it more infectious in the lab. If that's not gain of function, he needs to explain to the world why when you combine two viruses and make something more transmissible in humans, why that is not gain of function. So I don't think he can even escape on a technicality, but no one that's been allowed to interview him has ever asked the follow-up question, why is it not gain of function? In 2012, this is a man who actually said that he supported gain of function research. Even if the net consequences of such would be a worldwide pandemic, he still supported it. That's something as a scientist that makes no sense to me. Can you imagine four million people have died from this around the world. And he thinks that it's okay to have a pandemic if we have an accident that scientific research is worth it. But also, since we've discovered the new way of developing vaccines, they can develop vaccines very quickly now. And they don't need to have viruses that are created in the lab to make a vaccine. They can actually do it by genetically sequencing any newly found pathogen, any newly found virus that's affecting humans. But what they create in the lab is not something that's going to occur in in humans or going to occur or evolve from animals. What they're creating in the lab is something that may never occur because what comes out of nature is random. And so when you create something in the lab, the odds that you're creating something that could occur in, uh, in nature is slim, if not none. So they're creating a virus in the lab that's more deadly that never would have occurred in nature and then we run the risk of it leaking. There's been multiple leaks in Beijing over the years, but we still do this in the United States, and the reason why it needs to be debated is we're doing this in North Carolina, and we're doing this in Galveston. They were both collaborating with the Wuhan Institute. We also discovered from The Intercept today that some of this was done at a biosafety level three, not a four, but a three, a lab that in our country we would say is inadequate for having controls to, to prevent a leak. It's obvious to me, and I've now said it for a while, Dr. Fauci needs to be fired. What is what is next? Because I know that if I ever lied before Congress, I, I, I'm pretty confident, Senator, that people on the Democratic side would want to put me in jail, throw away the key, and you'd have to visit me with a cake and a file on it. Yeah, we've referred him for criminal charges for lying to Congress. That's a felony, punishable up to five years. We sent 
the referral to the Department of Justice. I don't anticipate Biden's Department of Justice will do anything with it. But another reason he should go is that he's done everything he can to obscure the fact that monoclonal antibodies can save your lives. This is the thing created by Regeneron. Regeneron. And here's the thing that's going on right now. I found I helped two people get this treatment this week, and I think it may have helped them to survive this disease. Both times, it was difficult to get because there's resistance. What we're finding is that if you become an inpatient in the hospital, they won't give you the treatment because Dr. Fauci's edict from above See, the government bought all of this. So the government owns all the monoclonal antibodies, and they're telling the hospitals, if someone's in the hospital, you can't use this. So the thing is, is if you are sick and you're getting ready to go to the hospital, before you're admitted, say, can I get the monoclonal antibodies? Because once you're admitted, they're not allowed to give you the monoclonal antibodies, which I think is absurd. I can't tell you how many people that I I don't tell them what to do, but even I've had people vaccinated and people unvaccinated and the breakthrough cases. And the first thing I say to them is you need to immediately talk to your doctor about Regeneron or Eli Lilly. They have a version of it as well. And I know, for example, there's a hospital in Long Island, St. Francis, that administers it. I know Emory University in Atlanta does it. I know that Governor Ron DeSantis down in Florida has set up Regeneron centers and at different areas throughout the state. For people that either have a breakthrough case that were fully vaccinated or people that are unvaccinated and all the evidence and information that I've been able to obtain. But you're a doctor. I'll defer to you. Is that the sooner you get it, the better off you're going to do. Yeah, that's absolutely true. The point I'm making about the hospital is that it's better if you get it early. But let's say it has an 85% survival rate if you get it in day two or three of the disease. My guess is by day four or five, it's not going to have zero effect. It might just have less effect. So I think that we should be studying whether or not we can give it at a later date, even if it helps a little bit, because it's best efficacies in the first couple of days. But we don't know who to give it to. No, but people think they're at home and they're feeling fine for two or three days. I had a, a young man who for 10 days was sick and he was getting better. But then he developed a cough, congestion, and he was developing pneumonia. And they said, oh, it's too late to give you the monoclonal antibodies. I really think it needs to be studied further at this stage. Quick break more with Senator Rand Paul, Dr. Rand Paul on the other side. Uh, and coming up at the bottom of the hour, yep, they're still trying to ram through the $3.5 trillion spending boondoggle. Will they be successful? We'll get an update on that. Sarah Carter on our top story, uh, and that is Americans stranded, left behind enemy lines, held hostage now by the Taliban as we continue this busy Tuesday edition. As we continue with Senator and also medical doctor Rand Paul, let me ask you this, because you were one of the first, if not the first senator, I think, that publicly said you had contracted COVID-19. And um, I don't I never I don't believe I've ever asked you what treatment you, you received or took, if any, or therapeutics you might have used. If you feel like disclosing it, feel free. I believe in medical privacy, Senator. I, I really have no right to ask you that question, only if you want to share it. Uh, but more importantly, you have also steadfastly refused to be vaccinated. Now, you are backed up by the Cleveland Clinic, a pretty prestigious medical institution, that if you have natural antibodies, T-cell antibodies, even if your, your antibody levels go down, uh, it would recognize coronavirus. Now, with the onset of the Delta variant, followed by the Peruvian Lambda variant, 
followed next by the MU variant. Um, do you do you feel the same way? Yeah, you know, I ended up not getting many symptoms at all. I could barely tell I was even had it and probably would have never been tested had I not been having a testing site at the office and they tested me. But the thing is, is that, uh, so I took no treatment. Um, and really, if you've got a mild headache or some body aches and you're not in a high-risk category, that that's going to happen 95 to 99% of the time you don't need treatment. The key is trying to figure out those who are at high risk. And it's definitely age over 65, and it's definitely overweight at much younger ages. And there are some other risk factors, but it's talking to your doctor. And the thing is, is we all tend to stay home and say, oh, I'll just get better. I'll be better tomorrow. The key with this disease is you can't wait till you're very, very sick. You've got to try to get these monoclonal antibodies. And if Dr. Fauci cared about the country and if he wanted to do anything other than chastising us about masks and trying to mandate vaccines on us, he should be telling us, look, people are getting sick that are unvaccinated, but people are also getting sick that are vaccinated. There is a treatment, but you got to know to talk to your doctor early. I've not seen one. I agree with you on Regeneron. Biden administration and nothing from Fauci on trying to get in early to get the monoclonal antibodies. I, I know it's something that even the media went with this false report about ivermectin. Um, I've had Harvard trained medical school graduates and 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 Yale trained graduates on this program, medical doctors that are on the front lines of this that believe in the monoclonal antibody treatment coupled with HCQ and ivermectin. Now, yes, ivermectin is used in horses and animals, but there is a prescription for human beings as well. Uh, and they have found it to be part of a treatment program that they say works. I'm not a doctor. I don't, I'm not going to play one on radio. But um, nobody, it seems like you can't even talk about it. What are your thoughts as a medical doctor on those things? Well, I think it's very hard to prove what works and doesn't work in an outpatient setting because 99% of the people get better with or without treatment. So if you have a 1,000 patients and you give them nothing, and you have a 1,000 patients and you give them ivermectin, it's going to be very hard to tell if it works because uh, 99% of people are going to get better in both groups. Um, I, I simply pointed out to a questioner in the audience that it should be studied, and I thought that hatred of Donald Trump was preventing adequate study of it. But there is actually a phase three study. So for all the idiots, the CNN idiots, and all these people lampooning it as a horse dewormer, it is a- absolutely approved for humans. It has saved many, many lives in humans, and it is for parasites. But parasites have a similar way of attacking cells to uh, viruses. And before they lampoon anybody who mentions it, they ought to realize that even the NIH, which is very conservative and often biased against anything new, uh, they're studying it in a phase three study. So it's been studied internationally, so is hydroxychloroquine, and we should be objective about it. I'm not an advocate for either one, but I'm not, I'm not one who says that they don't work. I'm saying one is that I'm uncertain. So one of these idiots over at CNN writes something saying, he said he didn't know it more needed more research. And then they criticized me with an expert saying, oh, the experts say it's uncertain. Well, that's exactly what I said. That we don't know yet whether it works or doesn't work, but we ought to be studying these things. I, I think that I've got to so run because of time, and, and we'll have more with you on television tonight, I understand. But I will tell you, I mean, to not talk about Regeneron or monoclonal antibodies is, you're right, it's wrong. And... Um, and I just, you know, we have to have honest discussions with medical professionals. I'm not one and I don't play one on radio and I refuse to tell people what to do except take it seriously. And I believe in science and I believe the science of vaccination, but I can't tell people what to do. Uh, doc, uh, Dr. And Senator Rand Paul, thanks for being with us.
when news breaks, you get the inside story that no one else has. And the behind-the-scenes chatter that the mainstream media doesn't even know about. This is the Sean Hannity Show. All right, 25 to the top of the hour. I want to update you on uh, Joe Biden's economy. Uh, and I'm at the top of the hour, we'll be joined by Sarah Carter. Back to our top story, which is obviously Americans held hostage. I think it's, what, day 24 behind enemy lines. And we can't, the Taliban is saying we can't, they're not allowing planes with Americans on them out. They want their ransom. I told you it would come to this. What I really fear, I don't even want to tell you is going to happen. This, this is the world I live in. I wish I didn't sometimes. Friday's job report, way, way far short of expected employment gains. It created the fewest jobs in seven months in August. Hiring in the leisure hospitality uh, sector now stalled because of Joe Biden's mishandling of COVID. And uh, if you look at it, you know, they had forecast non-payroll, non-farm payrolls increasing by, what, 728,000 in August. And the survey of establishment showed, yeah, it only increased by 235,000. A disaster. The smallest gain since January. Employment in all of these sectors down. Construction down 3,000. GM, Ford Motors announced production cuts this week. You can't even get a new car. If you want to buy a used car, well, you're paying more than you've ever paid, up 47%. Uh, Morgan Stanley has now cut their third quarter GDP growth forecast by over 50%. They were forecasting 6.5%. Now they're forecasting 2.9%. And they want to ram through this $3.5 trillion new Green Deal socialist disaster. You know, Biden, you know, seeking to shift every th- bit of attention away from the disaster that what that is Afghanistan with Americans held hostage. And, he's, you know, he's pushing this new green deal, womb to the tomb, cradle to grave agenda of his. Um, you have a few people now that are speaking out against it. Looks like Kristen Cinema. She wrote this big editorial saying she's against it, as did uh, Joe Manchin. And here's what Manchin said. But we also know that House leaders say, well, but first, you got to pass this three and a half trillion dollar anti-poverty health care and climate plan. You voted to at least open debate and discussion on the bill to advance it in that sense. But as of today, if this bill exists as it does now, are you for it or against it? I've been very open about that, Hoppy. I do not believe that three and a half trillion dollars today is where we should be going based on what we have going on with inflation, what we have going on with the national debt, the indications we have, and the unknown of the COVID-19 or the Delta variants. Too much at stake right now to go in and make a commitment such as that and not have anything in the toolbox to take care of any challenges or crisis we may have coming in. And right now we already put $5.4 trillion out. I've always been a believer that every bill should be either voted up or down on its own merits and the need and the uh, priorities that we have and the need for our nation. Joining us now is Congressman Kevin Brady. He's out of Texas, their 8th Congressional District, ranking Republican on the House Ways and Means Committee. Uh, and he knows about all things spending. Uh, look, you can't stop it in the House, but it can be stopped in the Senate. Now, I just, 
when it comes to cinema and mansion, I don't know. It's a crapshoot, and I don't even want to think about people like Romney, Ben Sass, Lisa Murkowski, and some others. Yeah, Sean, good to talk to you. So I, I actually, we are going to try to stop it, or as much of it, in the House. Speaker only has the raises to the majority here as well. Four votes can block uh, these tax increases. It is uphill, no doubt about it. But look, you know, coming after a horrible jobs a report what you just laid out and i know the president's blaming covid but you ought to be looking in the mirror because right now businesses are fighting to fill jobs families are struggling uh, with rising prices the recovery has peaked now it's stalling out and consumer optimism has has fallen off a cliff and now the president wants three and a half really five trillion dollars of spending and taxes and, and the only result of this is going to be you're going to see higher prices on families. You, you will see a new era of dependency on government, probably the greatest expansion of the welfare state in our lifetime. You're going to see millions of jobs either killed or moved overseas. And, and by the way, you know I know the president says this is all on the wealthy and corporations, but I can tell you this is hammering small businesses, family-owned farms, and the middle class, is going to see real tax increases. This we, is the we last already thing see, we see, see inflation now at the highest rate in, in what, nearly 20 years. Yeah, 30 years. We, yeah. we see gas prices now on their way to doubling. We have we have now Joe Biden begging OPEC. Rather than beg OPEC, I have an alternative idea. Congressman, I don't know. I'm a little talk show host. What do I know? I'm a dummy. <laughs> but maybe we can start drilling again in Texas, North Dakota, Oklahoma, um, and maybe reopen Anwar. And while we're at it, why don't we put back in place the building of the Keystone XL pipeline and these other pipelines? I don't know. I, why don't we go back to the policies of energy independence yeah. that brought us record low energy prices? Because everything we buy, Congressman, you know this, everything we buy in every grocery store, every Home Depot, every Lowe's, every every drugstore, we're all paying more for. Why? Because yeah. the cost of transporting those goods that we all want, need, and desire are costing truckers more. And we're paying. And we're paying more to heat and cool our homes and fill our tanks. We are, Sean, and it's going to get worse if this tax bill, tax hike bill uh, passes. They are targeting $145 billion of higher taxes on American-made energy, large and small. And the, the only result of this is they will kill off about a million good-paying oil and gas jobs, many of them blue-collar, you're going to see those higher prices you just talked about. And then we're going to be, become more reliant on Russia and uh, in the Middle East and others for our energy. And bottom line is, um, I think following, you know, Joe Biden's just disastrous Afghanistan debacle, now he's leading America on an economic surrender to foreign countries like China, like Russia, and like Europe. All right, so when it, give me a time frame on when we're going to see this. Now, I know Joe does wants to distract away from anything and everything having to do with Americans held hostage behind enemy lines. Um, but with that said, you know, that seems to be all the Democrats want to talk about, anything other than the disaster of what yep. he caused in Afghanistan. Well, the short answer is all of this is moving at, at light speed following the speaker just bludgeoning a few of her moderates in the line a couple of weeks ago. So they're going to start votes on these tax hikes in the Ways and Means Committee in two days. And they're looking to rush this through in about four days of votes on, in our committee 
and bring it to the House floor, ram it through there, uh, uh, or, or a little later this month. So they are trying to push this through so the American people don't see what's in it. Well, it's scary, but I appreciate everything you're doing, and please keep us updated uh, throughout we'll this process so that we can inform our our listeners of exactly what's happening. We appreciate you being with us, Congressman, Great. as always. Thank you, Sean. Take care. All right, my friend, 800-941-SEAN, if you want to be a part of the program. Uh, let's say hi to Gino is in Michigan. Hey, Gino, how are you? Glad you called, sir. Hey, Sean, how you doing? What's going uh, on? Good. Uh, Sean, it's an honor and privilege to speak to you, first of all. And, and I really appreciate you speaking on behalf of our fellow Americans that are honestly considered hostages right now in Afghanistan and, and our brave soldiers. The uh, reason for my call, I, I used to be a translator from 2010 to 2012. I was a contractor to the DOD in Iraq. Um, I, I, I really want the listeners to understand the situation uh, our, our fellow Americans are in right now. I mean, like, it's a really bad situation. I mean, like, when I went to Iraq, the first thing they instructed me to do is do not mention your real name. Don't say where you're from. Don't mention any family members to anyone, even the Iraqi military, you know. And now, uh, seeing the picture now with those translators and local translators, uh, all their information are given to the Taliban, basically, it, it, it's not only their life that's in danger, it's their families' lives. So people need to understand how those how the Taliban operate. I'm like, it's a definite death for the, for, for for those people, and and, and I it's really uh, sad and, and and really hard to see what's going on right now because I was in that situation before. You know, my, my I, sure. I told my wife, yes. Um, look, the numbers of people over 20 years that we're talking about, like yourself, Gino, are in the tens of thousands. They now have a database with the names of all. They have biometric, you know, backgrounds. They're going to be testing people door to door biometrically. They're going to identify and kill every single person that they can find that assisted Americans over the last 20 years. That's just the fact. It's already happening. We're getting a lot of reports about how bad it is and how quickly it's gotten worse since Joe Biden abandoned our fellow Americans and our Afghan partners that we promised we would get out if this day ever came. I'm not saying they all have to come here. I, that we need certainly some real vetting of every, anybody that's taken into this country, but we promised to get them the hell out of there. And we left them many of them behind. The biggest airlift in history, 120,000. Yeah, 5,500 Americans with no number of how many Americans are left behind. We never leave Americans behind. We yeah. made this promise. We abandoned them. Many yes, will die exactly as a result right. of their this failure of Joe Biden. Yes, yes. And they don't speak about, like, I'm putting myself in their situation where I was asked to leave, even if I had a chance to leave the country, but leave my family behind. And my information are already on the, on the hands of the Taliban. I would never leave my family behind. I mean, like this is the worst scenario they could be in. I couldn't even say my my real name to anyone when I was translating. We didn't even use our real names. It, it, that's how bad it was. I had detainees telling me that I will kill you before I kill the American soldier because you're a traitor. 
Let me ask you a question. Did you did they take your biometrics? Uh, what do you mean? I'm sorry. Did they do an eye scan on you and record your biometrics? They they did not. No. No. Um, you know, yeah. I hope people hear you because we're going to hear for days, weeks, months, probably years of horrible death happening to people just yeah. like you. I'm exactly. glad you're safe. One, one more thing, Sean. I mean, like uh, another thing, I mean, I was involved in uh, Iraqi military training, you know, the U.S. military training to the Iraqi military and, and seeing those pictures of those Marines at the airport before even the suicide bomber. I mean, like, it was unbelievable, unbelievable the way they were standing there. And, and, and I was telling my wife, I'm like, I really, really hope I'm wrong, but something bad is going to happen. It's not, this is not how we operate. Those, those soldiers, to me, they were sent to die. I mean, I'm sorry to say that, but the way that I, when I looked at the pictures and the videos, this is not how the U.S. military operate their missions. They can't, they, I mean, they were standing there, no T-wall, standing next to each other in the middle of the crowd. This was unbelievable. This, this will never, ever happen. I never seen it with my own eyes. I mean, like, throughout the training that I've seen happen in front of me to the Iraqi military, this, I mean, like, this is crazy. I mean, like, th those soldiers, those poor soldiers, to me, they were sent there to die. It's, it's, it's just, just it just it, it's it's beyond anything that I understand about this country. This is not the America I know and love. We no. don't leave Americans behind. This is not political for me. I I, I I I if every single person left behind was a radical liberal that worked day and night to get me off the air, I would fight like hell to get them home. We don't abandon our fellow Americans, period, end the sentence. You don't make a promise to allies and ask them to help and risk their lives and tell them if all hell breaks loose, you will get them out of there and then break that promise. You don't do it. And this is if, if my mind, where my mind goes is not, it's very dark. The potential for human tragedy and disaster on a mass scale is real here. I pray to God I am dead wrong. Sadly, I don't think I am. Thank you for the call. We'll continue.